European Heart Journal Case Reports 2021. I'm Dr Jenny Han, podcast editor. Today, I'll be talking about a case report by Ahasen Geller, Francis Devereaux, Fosse Zahir Ahmed and Peter Scott from Manchester Heart Centre, Manchester Royal Infirmary, Manchester, United Kingdom, titled Novel Atrioventricular Sequential Pacing Approach Using a Transvenous Atrial Pacemaker and a Leadless Pacemaker. A case report. A complication of transvenous pacing is that the leads can cause tricuspid valve dysfunction. When this happens, transvenous lead extraction or surgical tricuspid valve repair may be needed. There are different techniques for pacemaker implantation after this, which generally avoids placing leads across the tricuspid valve. This case report is the first case where pacing was re-achieved using an AAI pacemaker and a leadless pacemaker. The case. A 66-year-old woman presented to a tertiary centre with a year-long history of exertional dyspnea, peripheral edema and postural neck pulsations. She had a background of hypertension and type 2 diabetes, and her past medical history included previous excision of a benign atrial myxoma 16 years ago, previous ablation for typical atrial flutter 15 years ago, and dual chamber pacemaker implantation for sinus node dysfunction 14 years ago. Clinical examination confirmed peripheral edema and elevated jugular venous pressure with prominent V waves. The pacemaker was a Medtronic Versa dual chamber pacemaker with leads to the right atrial appendage and right ventricular apex. Pacemaker interrogation showed that she was 100% atrially paced and had developed atrioventricular conduction disease with a 10% ventricular pacing requirement at a base rate of 60 beats per minute, despite the use of AAI DDD mode to minimise ventricular pacing. Previous transthoracic echocardiogram performed before her pacemaker implantation 14 years ago was normal, except for minor aortic valve sclerosis. This time, transthoracic echocardiogram showed severe tricuspid regurgitation, which looked like it was due to tethering of the septal leaflet of the tricuspid valve by the right ventricular lead. Left ventricular systolic function was normal, and there were no other significant valve abnormalities. The case was discussed in the Joint Cardiology and Cardiothoracic Multidisciplinary Team Meeting, where the estimated risk of inpatient mortality for tricuspid valve surgery was 4.1% using Euroscore 2. The team opted for transvenous right ventricular lead extraction, with leadless pacemaker implantation as the first-line strategy, with the option of surgical valve replacement or repair if severe tricuspid regurgitation persisted after extraction. The procedure was done electively, under general anaesthetic with prophylactic antibiotic cover. A temporary pacing wire was placed through a left femoral venous axis. Then, a left infraclavicular horizontal incision was made through the old scar to the pacemaker generator, and it was liberated from the prepectoral pocket. The right ventricular lead was extracted. The right atrial lead was tested and connected to the accolade SR device, which was placed in a Tyrex envelope, and a wound was closed in two layers. A micro-AV was implanted in mid-septal location through right femoral venous access. The atrial sensing setup feature was run, determining an A4 threshold of 1.0 meters per second squared, a 3 threshold of 3.7 meters per second squared, a 3 window end of 860 milliseconds, and a sensing vector of 1 plus 3. Sequential atrioventricular pacing was successful, and post-procedural checks, including a chest x-ray, were satisfactory. She was therefore allowed home the same day. At a two-week follow-up appointment, she remained markedly breathless with NYHA class 3 symptoms and described ongoing pedo edema. 
interrogation of the micro-AV showed satisfactory parameters, with sense R wave of 19.7 millivolts, impedance of 950 ohms, and threshold of 0.38 volts at 0.24. The micro-AV was in VVI mode 87% of the time, favouring intrinsic atrioventricular conduction, and ventricular pacing was delivered 9.9% of the time. Projected battery life was 14 years. Interrogation of the AAI device was also satisfactory. Repeat transthoracic echocardiogram showed severe residual eccentric tricuspid regurgitation and right ventricular dilatation with basal diameter 4.5 cm and mid diameter 3.7 cm, which may have developed secondary to the persistent severe tricuspid regurgitation. She was referred to the cardiothoracic surgical team for surgery, but this had not been performed at the time of this case report's publication due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Discussion In this case report, we saw that the use of transvenous pacing leads led to tricuspid valve dysfunction and regurgitation. This can be through leaflet perforation, transection of the cord tendony or papillary muscle, or failure of leaflet cooptation. Clinically, this manifests as right ventricular and right atrial dilatation, increased risk of hospitalisation due to heart failure, and increased all-cause mortality. After the development of tricuspid regurgitation, the first step is to regain valve function. This can be through transvenous lead extraction or surgical tricuspid valve repair. Transvenous lead extraction can lead to significant reduction in the severity of tricuspid regurgitation and improve symptoms in approximately a third of patients. However, it's important to select the right patients for this, as the success of lead extraction is variable and dependent on the mechanism of tricuspid valve dysfunction. For example, it is less effective when there is tricuspid annular dilation. In order to formulate the optimal management plan, these cases should be discussed in multidisciplinary meetings with cardiac device specialists, imaging specialists and cardiothoracic surgeons, as seen in this case report. Based on her echocardiogram findings and calculation of surgical risk, the team here decided to perform transvenous lead extraction first to try and prevent open heart surgery. Unfortunately, in this case, lead extraction did not result in a reduction in her severe tricuspid regurgitation and she remained symptomatic and she was referred for surgery. European guidelines currently give a class 1 recommendation for tricuspid valve repair or replacement in symptomatic patients with severe tricuspid stenosis. The second step is re-establishing pacing. Normally, placing leads across the tricuspid valve is avoided, so other techniques need to be used. Many different approaches have been described, including ventricular pacing using epicardial leads, transvenous pacing, which avoids leads through the tricuspid valve, such as left ventricular pacing via the coronary sinus, or bundle his pacing, and the use of leadless pacemakers. In this case report, the authors used a combination of transvenous AAI pacemaker and a leadless micro-AV pacemaker. They explained the rationale for this in the case report, stating that active fixation left ventricular lead and his bundle pacing were both considered and may have been effective alternatives. They felt that the risk of raised thresholds or loss of ventricular pacing due to displacement or dislodgement during surgery made leadless pacing the most effective long-term option. They did not consider epicardial pacing to be a suitable first-line pacing strategy, as epicardial leads can only be placed at the time of cardiac surgery. Leadless pacemaker implantation is associated with high procedural success rates and low complication rates. However, they are single-chambered and until recently could not provide atrioventricular synchronous pacing. The second-generation leadless micro-AV pacemaker was cleared by the FDA in January 2020 and is the smallest pacemaker with atrioventricular synchrony. It is implanted in the right ventricle, 
and uses a three-axis accelerometer to sense the atrial mechanical contraction. The accelerometer produces waveforms designated A1 to A4, where A1 corresponds to mitral or tricuspid valve closure, A2 corresponds to aortic or pulmonary valve closure, A3 corresponds to passive ventricular filling, and A4 corresponds to atrial contraction. The device detects the A4 atrial contraction signal, which initiates ventricular pacing after a brief programmable interval. Previous studies have showed greater or equal to 70% synchrony in 38 out of 40 patients with intact sinus node function and complete AV block. In this case report, the patient described has sinus node dysfunction requiring 100% atrial pacing and originally had a recommended first-line management of a dual-chamber pacemaker. However, the micro-AV pacemaker can only provide VDD pacing, but not atrial pacing. The solution used here was to connect the existing atrial lead from the DDD system to a single-chamber pulse generator to provide AAI pacing. Then, the micro-AV was able to sense and track atrial activity, thus achieving atrial ventricular synchrony. In terms of future pacing, the projected battery longevity is approximately 14 years, which would be expected to reduce to 9.5 years if a 50% pacing requirement developed. In this case report, the authors have considered other pacing options when the micro-AV reaches end of service, including the addition of a further leader's pacemaker adjacent to the current device, or the use of a left ventricular lead. Two questions which are raised with this case report is whether use of a leadless pacemaker in the pacing regimen could prevent the development of tricuspid regurgitation in the first instance, and whether changing pacemaker strategy can prevent worsening tricuspid regurgitation. There are certainly no specific European recommendations regarding this. A 2019 study by Burskins and colleagues of 53 leadless pacemaker recipients and 53 age and sex match controls with dual-chamber pacemakers found comparable rates of worsening tricuspid regurgitation. However, as this study used dual-chamber pacemakers as a control, there were important differences in pacing indications between the two groups, such as a higher rate of atrial arrhythmias in the leadless pacing group. The leadless pacing group also did not benefit from atrioventricular synchrony. This does not allow any firm conclusions to be made about the type of pacemaker affecting tricuspid regurgitation. However, they also found that there was a five-fold increase in tricuspid regurgitation with septal as opposed to apical leadless pacing. Burskins and colleagues postulated that this was due to mechanical interactions between the leadless pacemakers and the tricuspid valve and its subvalvular apparatus. The patient in this case report had the micro-AV leadless pacemaker implanted in the mid-septal region. This is an interesting finding which may be relevant if this particular combination of a transvenous AAI pacemaker and a micro-AV pacemaker are used for future patients. The authors have highlighted the following learning points. Lead-related tricuspid valve dysfunction is an important and increasingly recognised complication. The micro-AV is a second-generation leadless pacemaker, which uses a three-axis accelerometer to sense the atrial mechanical contraction, thus enabling atrioventricular synchronous pacing. Atrial ventricular sequential pacing can be achieved using a dual pacemaker approach involving a use of micro-AV and a transvenous AAI. Thank you to the authors of this case report for highlighting this fascinating case for us. And thank you for listening to European Heart Journal Case Reports podcasts. References used to create this podcast and the original case report are available online. Visit academic.oup.com forward slash EHJCR for other interesting case reports. Music is Computer by State Shirt.